interested in taking a deep dive each week into a compliance or compliance-related topic? Then Compliance Into the Weeds is the podcast for you. Join Matt Kelly, the coolest guy in compliance, and Tom Fox, the voice of compliance, as they go into the weeds to flesh out a story which you can use to better inform your compliance program. Both you and your compliance program will be the better for listening to this podcast. Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, the Compliance Evangelist and Voice of Compliance, back again with Matt Kelly, the coolest guy in compliance for another episode. Today, we're going to start one of probably, which is several podcasts over the next few weeks on the coronavirus, COVID-19. Matt had a uh, really outstanding blog post that we're going to cite to in this article and I'll link to it in the show notes. So, Matt, first of all, welcome. And uh, are you guys uh, currently safe in Cambridge? So, Matt, uh, one of the things I hope to do uh, in this podcast and others that you and I have together is uh, to try to bring some clarity, if not sanity, to this conversation. And I wanted to use your blog post as really to start that conversation, uh, particularly around uh, several different topics. Uh, You really talked about uh, flattening the curve around coronavirus, but more importantly, what do we do now and what do we do in the future? But Perhaps we can start with a little bit of positive news you were able to come up with. Uh, what's the news coming out of China? Well, so the, this started in my mind when I saw something put out uh, on Twitter by China. Um, it was China has closed the last of its emergency hospitals in Wuhan. Um, and so to celebrate that, the Chinese People's Daily had this um, nice little montage uh, where they were going by all of the medical professionals who were leaving for the last time. And as they did, they pulled off their face masks and they were all smiling. Um, It was uplifting. On the other hand, we should all be very clear-eyed. This was designed to be uplifting. It was propaganda from the Chinese People's Daily to make everybody feel good when we will overlook the Beijing hopes, that we will overlook the mistakes they made in January that got innocent people killed. And it is a thuggish dictatorship. I never have any illusions about the Chinese government, but nonetheless, it is a fact that in Wuhan and the rest of China, the crest of the crisis has passed. They are getting their economy revived. Um, The temporary hospitals are closing. And, you know, they are now shipping at least some materials and expertise overseas where clearly it is sorely needed. So there is a far side to this mess. We are just on the near side of it. And like everybody else, it's certainly very unnerving and angst uh, inducing to me. But we are where we are. Matt, you uh, wrote about uh, not simply the Chinese lockdown, but what they did during the lockdown, which really broke uh, the communi- communicable part of the virus and its uh, exponential expansion. What did you see there? So, yeah, this was interesting. This is something else that caught my mind where uh, there is a clip of the New York Times health and science reporter named Donald McNeil. He was being interviewed by Rachel Maddow on N- uh, MSNBC. And he was talking about uh, 
there may be some misconceptions in the West about what China actually did in Wuhan, where they locked everything down, yes, but the lockdown did not break the spread of COVID-19. The lockdown helped them implement the other steps that broke COVID-19. Um, and that is what I think we need to focus on here, uh, is that the lockdown is only one preliminary measure, and it is only one part of a bigger whole that we need to think about. So the New York Times guy, Mr. McNeil, he was explaining that uh, China had implemented uh, policies where everywhere you go, and you know, in Wuhan, you had some limited mobility, and you still you've got more now, but it's still also somewhat limited. Everywhere you go in Wuhan, your temperature is taken. I leave my apartment complex. I get on the subway. I go to an office building. I then step out for lunch. I then get on the subway again, and then I go back home to my apartment. At every one of those stops, but coming and going, somebody takes my temperature. And if you are running a fever, you are immediately, right then, uh, taken to a fever clinic where they test you in a series of tests to rule out other causes to the um, final scenario, is it that you have COVID-19? And if you do, you are not going home. You are going to a hospital, and for six or eight weeks now, it had been one of those field hospitals, but they would ship you right away. And it was that removal of the infected from the other population that is what broke the spread of COVID-19. Because if you just self-isolated at home with COVID-19, all you did was infect your family members. Um, so I had been thinking about that and those measures that are still in effect today and various other effects um, that companies in China are trying to implement as they are getting their economy back up. And that led me to my post on Monday about thinking about the downslope of the curve. We are still on the upslope, and we're going to have a period of great suffering while we're on the upslope. But we will reach a crest, and we will get to a downslope. And my point is, how are we thinking about what we in the private sector must do to make sure that when we start turning the economy back on in six or eight weeks, we don't simply just restart the spread of COVID-19 and the curve starts bulging back up again? So instead of it being a single curve, could it be an undulating wave that might still be sloping down over time, but we're going up and down and up and down and lockdowns here and there from time to time. And we cannot be out of position when we try to turn the economy back on. Um, we're, you know, we already know how painful and scary it is as we're turning it off today, but we need to start thinking about that those downside risks um, that are there to come. Um, so that was the, the gist of my post, and I could go on a whole lot more if you want, but I'll stop there for now. At that point, it seemed to me there were a couple of different things you were suggesting we consider. Uh, you suggested integrating public health measures into private sector operations, but what I wanted to start with is yeah. what are some of the public health measures that you see uh, we could use or our tactics that could use, and then from there perhaps move into how we can integrate those into private uh, businesses? Well, let me um, say a little bit more about the, the general issues of what's going on here, and then I'll zero in on some of the public health measures that we need to think about. Um, but I think, first, we need to understand our predicament clearly. 
we have a public health crisis that is now causing an economic crisis. And we won't resolve the economic crisis until we get that public health crisis fixed. And we're in such dire straits today because we utterly failed to address COVID-19 when we should have, which was six, six weeks ago. So all of the severe economic dislocation we're suffering right now, that's necessary because the public health threat is so dire. Um, and, you know, we should also take a breath and say all of the wonderful things we're seeing from the business community. So I have seen Zoom, the teleconferencer. They are giving away free services to the education community. Uh, Taco Bell agreeing to pay all of its workers while their stores are closed. Xfinity apparently saying that Xfinity Wi-Fi hotspots will be free to all for some period. All of that is great, and we should praise it all. But we should understand what those steps that we're seeing, what they really are. They are mitigation measures for the economic crisis. They are not addressing the root cause of the economic crisis, which is COVID-19. So businesses need to start planning today for how to survive in that downslope of the curve where economic activity is still going to be very fragile. So we need to start anticipating today how to integrate public health controls into our private enterprise operations so that companies can be more resilient during that fragile period of restarting the economy on the downslide of the curve. And because if we don't, then when we turn the engine back on in six weeks, it's just going to stall and sputter and we're going to go in fits and starts until who knows when, when we finally get a COVID vaccine. And that's, that's a year away. Um, so Tom, you know, you said, what are those public health protocols that we might need to implement uh, in our workforces, in our supply chains? Well, I, I was thinking about that. Like, okay, I know very little about public health. Let's go look for a framework. So I literally just Googled public health frameworks with the CDC. And it has some, but it does have frameworks that are, they're clearly made for public health agencies, not for companies. But, you know, they can come up, they've come up with some concepts we need to think about here in the private sector. Um, Social distancing, a word we are all already knowing and coming to love, hate, loathe, whatever. Um, And then disease management and disease surveillance. And my point is we need to start thinking about what are those disease management policies, procedures that we would enact here so that if somebody does start to get sick, how do we make sure we don't have to shut down the whole business or the whole critical supply line doesn't conk down? Um, How do we figure that out? Uh, How do we deal with customers who may be sick? How do we deal with employees who may be sick enough to work from isolation or they are just in self-quarantine? But we have all sorts of issues around social distancing and disease management as take those ideas and implement them as actual corporate policies so that we can be resilient during that downslope fragile period. That's that's like if I could shriek that from the top of the, the rooftops, I would. Um, you know, and the funny thing is I was talking with a couple of compliance officers and audit executives over the weekend. Have you been thinking about this yet? And one or two of them basically said, no, are you crazy? I'm working double shifts with the emergency planning committee. And, you know, we're just figuring out how to operationalize work from home. And, you know, but I stopped one of them and said, when you say you're still trying to operationalize work from home, 
you don't even know yet, but you're actually already starting it. You are trying to implement social distancing as a company policy. And there's all sorts of risks around this. There's cybersecurity risk. There's access risks, and we can talk about them. And, Tom, you and I talked about them a bit last week. But that's the sort of thing we're getting at now first in the crisis time on the upslope of the curve. It's all about social distancing, putting it into corporate policy. The downside of the curve is going to be a lot more about disease surveillance and disease management, especially for critical infrastructure industries and what those industries are is going to be kind of different. I don't think anybody has yet stopped to realize one of the most critical employees in the whole economy right now are Amazon drivers. And how is Amazon thinking about how to protect their drivers so that they can still make deliveries? Uh, as it so happens, I have a friend who's a doctor and a public health uh, official, and she said, actually, Amazon drivers are fairly safe because all they do all day is spend all day in the truck. So... If they just don't talk to anyone, if they don't get close to anyone, if they're wearing gloves, they'll generally be fine. Um, you know, so you have to start thinking through that sort of a thing. And you know, if you are in audit and you're listening, you need to start thinking about these. What are the risks? How do we mitigate them? If you're in compliance and you're listening, you need to be thinking about policies and procedures to mitigate the risk that the audit guys and the risk guys and supply chain guys and women – um, that they're all finding. Um, that's the sort of stuff we need to be thinking about. And I know it's hard to do while we're all so personally uneasy. Um, but nonetheless, that, you know, that is the far side that we have to be worried about. So we do not trip and fall over there. And Matt, that was really the point I wanted to lead into because it struck me in reading sort of your last, uh, section of your blog post that, um, your example of uh, where a risk officer or risk management specialist might be now is trying to operationalize working from home and that you really suggest that the compliance professional, the audit professional, perhaps the legal professional, certainly the risk management specialist and internal control specialist uh, need to begin thinking 30, 60, 90 days, 180 days through the end of the year out and managing the risks of of those timeframes, but also in the context of creating a risk management strategy around uh, all of these and then putting the framework in uh, written policy with procedures and controls uh, to mitigate those risks as we can and as more information becomes available to us, to us on how this uh, virus uh, migrates uh, from person to person or place to place. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Um, I think we have to also accept the idea that there's not going to be a specific plan because it's very likely that we will have different degrees of disruption and severity at different parts of the country in different times, um, let alone in different parts of the world at different times. It, I mean, that's the case today. Uh, I know an overseas compliance officer who is in Asia Pacific in a very low risk country at the moment, but they're already thinking that they could go to China and do an investigation because it's passed. Um, but, you know, here in the United States, so I'm in Boston. That is not a, I wouldn't say we're a hot, hot zone, but we are not a cool zone. You know, there's COVID risk right outside my door. Um, you know, if you're in Seattle, you might see, you know, domestic restrictions on travel within the United States. How would you get to your Washington state operations? That kind of thing. If you're in West Virginia or 
Minnesota or Montana, the low, the risk might be very low for a while. It might flare up later. We don't know. Um, but, you know, we're going to have to think about risk management. And then we are going to have to think about resiliency, which I define as how to keep going after the risk happens anyways, and we still fall flat on our face, which will happen with COVID. It absolutely will. There's not nothing wrong with it. There's not, you know, I'm not faulting anybody if they come up with great plans and COVID screws it up anyways. Um, it is a fact that we are somehow going to have disruption here. And we need to be thinking about, you know, how do we make sure that this all works? Um, you know, certainly, like, I have no doubt that telecom, banking, foodstuffs, um, they're already probably quietly thinking, Matt, tell me something I don't know, because we've been worried about this for weeks or months and thinking about it for years. And hey, if there's somebody out there listening who is, has been doing that and has good answers, like, call me and Tom, I'll get you on the program. We'll have a guest on Weeds for the first time ever. Um but, you know, many of us, this is very new territory, and we'll, we will struggle with this, um, let alone smaller businesses that don't necessarily have risk and compliance functions. They just have smart local managers. But, you know, again, small businesses are going to take it in the teeth with this. And sure, the federal government, I think, will provide some sort of assistance or states or something. But again, the economic stuff we're seeing in Washington – mitigation factors that will address the economic crisis, but they are not addressing the root cause, which is the public health crisis. And that's what we all have to be thinking about is how do we address the root cause? How do we make sure that our business operations are survivable in that fragile downslope side to make sure that the downslope keeps going down? Um, and that's where we need to really keep a I know we can't keep both eyes on it. I know that we've got plenty of fires to put out right here and now, but we cannot take our eye off that ball because that is going to be coming soon. And if we drop it, then we're going to be in the soup again, just like we are today. Man, I think that's probably a good place to wrap uh, this episode up. I know we're going to be uh, visiting on this topic quite a bit over the next uh, several weeks and unfortunately probably months. So uh, keep up the great work and I look forward to continuing the conversation. Thank you, sir. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. Thank you for listening to this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. We're going to link to Matt's uh, blog post on uh, this issue, so check that out in the show notes. I'm also pleased to announce that I'm starting a new podcast, Compliance and Coronavirus, Clarity and Sanity for the Compliance Practitioner. So look for that new podcast on the Compliance Podcast Network. Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network and a proud member of C-Suite Radio. I hope you will join Matt and I again next week when we take up another topic of Compliance Into the Weeds. Thanks so much for listening. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.